thank you for choosing to listen to Mummy on a Break podcast. I am Maria Newman, otherwise known as Mummy on a Break. My journey to becoming Mummy on a Break started back in 2016. That was the year I took voluntary redundancy whilst on maternity leave with my second baby and without really having a plan. The only thing I knew at that moment was that I needed to change my job. And if I didn't seize the day and take my chance, I'd be in the same job doing the same thing up until the time I retired. The thought of that scared me. So long story short, I embarked on my journey of being mummy on a break, which actually started with my decision to start my own business. And by following a very windy road, it led me to create the life I really wanted. I now help women who were like the old me. I help busy working mums who are tired and exhausted take back control and create the life they really want. If you want to find out more about how I can help you, then check out my website, mummyonabreak.co.uk and click on work with me. However, for now, sit back, relax and enjoy this podcast episode. Welcome to the Mummy on a Break podcast. My name is Maria Newman and I am Mummy on a Break. You can find out more about me and Mummy on a Break on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. During this podcast series, I will be interviewing ordinary people like you and me who I've met during my life, who I think are inspiring individuals. My guest today is Anna Duckworth. We originally met as I was looking for a life coach. Anna was my life coach. Anna got me thinking about what I really wanted to do with my life. And so she is one of the reasons why I'm on this entrepreneurial journey. She's also one of the artists that I promote on one of my other projects. To sum up Anna, she's a wife, a mum, an artist, a life coach and a scientist. And similar to me, she started her career in the corporate world. However, she stepped off the bus quite a while ago to pursue the passions in her life. Anna is a very talented lady and she inspires me because her life is filled with things that she is passionate about. She creates wonderful artworks that are stunning. She's helped people through her coaching. And as if she's not busy enough, last year she decided to start a PhD, which is a focus of this podcast. Welcome, Anna. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So I know you, but our listeners don't. Tell us a bit about yourself and why you made the decision to start your PhD. Um, First of all, I'd like to say that was a very kind introduction. (laughs) (laughs) You're most welcome. so, a bit about me. So, um, through school I was keen on science and quite good at it. Um, so I went and did physics um, at university and um, ended up working in laser physics um, uh, and kind of progressed in industry, initially from physicist through project management, um, kind of up the ladder and um, I was very interested in the people side, so I became a coach, set up a coaching business, left the corporate world, um, 
coaching was an inspiration because it was about helping people and it gave me a lot of freedom as well. I had my own business. Um, uh, I was pregnant at the time, so it gave me a lot of freedom to spend time with my daughter. I worked part-time, which was a blessing. Um, and it also gave me a bit of time eventually to start painting, which was another passion. Um, so I ran my coaching business for about 18 years. Um, and then probably about three years ago, uh, I had a couple of winters of not feeling great with chest infections. And I started reading about um, the disease that my mum died from and my granddad died from it as well, lung disease called pulmonary fibrosis. And the more I read, the more interested in it I became. So with my science background, I thought maybe I've got something to offer this field. And I think even from those early days, I was starting to see patterns across the literature that maybe because the way the medical um, community is organised that people don't necessarily look across the whole area and, and I thought maybe I'm seeing patterns that other people may not have seen yet so that really inspired me to get involved. Um, the, the step from there to a PhD was quite a, a long one so I wrote to um, everybody I could think of working in this particular field across, around the country the kind of big the people at the top of the game in that field and most of them probably didn't know what to do with me so um, I didn't get much response but I did get maybe one who invited me to go and get involved um, but I think probably the big step was so really serendipitous I was talking to a neighbour um, who knew somebody and I went and chatted to this retired chap who'd worked at closely with people in the field and he put me in touch with somebody else who is, he said you should probably you know don't just get involved at the charity level go to the talks I think you've got something to add and I was like well how do I do that <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 how do you go to the top I've been trying to do that but he actually wrote to his friend and said um I think you should uh, meet this lady and he said a few things about me very succinct and and concluded it by saying she's not a nutter. <laughs> nice, nice. So that got me in. So I got to meet him. Mm. Um, and he pointed me at this team down in Exeter, went to talk to them, and they were really welcoming and had just happened to have a PhD on offer. So I applied for it. And amazingly, I got it. So it was a case of it was meant to be. Well, it feels like that. Because yeah. when I went to talk to them down in Exeter, they said, um, you know, I can't think how we can get you involved we can't really let a contract without paying you, but you've got no qualifications, you've got no background in this area. Yeah. And we were there for about half an hour, and at one point, one of the chaps said, mm, but there is a PhD, and then he carried on. And uh, and afterwards he said, uh, actually, I was only half joking about the PhD, so I said, tell me what that's about. And he yeah. said, oh, it's about genetic biomarkers in this disease. Which was like, yeah, that is so perfect for me. So when I applied for it... Um, it was a really competitive interview and a panel interview uh, in a field I've got no background in. A com the competition, I think, there were about two hundred and forty applicants. Crikey! For a, you know, a, I think there were about fifteen places. Oh my goodness! And I was competing with medical students, you know, across the country. So you were never your intention was never to do a PhD. It was just obviously yeah. 
because for per- personal reasons you yeah. wanted to yeah. look into the, the yeah, subject. Yeah, I felt I had something to offer it because yeah. I've published papers before in both in physics and in coaching. Um, so I'm used to doing research and I felt if I could just get stuck into it with somebody who might listen, yeah. I might be able to make some headway and help move the field forward. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I have actually got one PhD, this is number two, but um, that's not the reason I'm doing it. <laughs> No, well, the qualification is by the by. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a way in. Yeah, for you to understand more and to help, obviously, to go in future and generations yeah, exactly. as well as current generations. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. So, what do you hope to gain from your PhD? What's like? What's the dream of? If everything could fall into place, yeah. what would the answer be? The answer would be so. This disease, pulmonary fibrosis, it's an incurable disease. Mm. It's nasty, it's worse than a lot of cancers. It's, if you're diagnosed with it, you've got a median survival of three years. For some people it's a lot less. Um, it's more for some people. Um, there are some treatments, but you've got to be quite poorly before you qualify for them because they're expensive and they don't cure it, they only slow it down. Yeah. And it's a miserable disease. Basically, it involves scarring of the inside of the lung, so you gradually run out of breath. Um, yeah, so my my dream would be to, you know, help find a cure. Maybe even find a cure. That would be the dream. So in the UK, it's the cause of 1% of UK deaths. Which is a large number. You think 1%, 1%. is like so nothing. So 5,000 people yeah. a year in the UK die yeah. from it. Um, yeah, there's no cures. And is it is it a dormant disease? Well, it's a disease that I think is cumulative in the body but I'm doing you know we're about to publish some papers mm. from my work already very exciting <laughs> uh, we shall tell everybody more about it <laughs> what's what's the most challenging thing about not just the PhD but the fact that you know you're quite you're close to the subject because of your history mm. and your mum and your yeah. granddad mm. what's what's the most challenging thing about um doing both the phd and the subject itself yeah i mean there are challenges one of the real big challenges so i get involved i like to get involved with the patients and you can't help but get attached to them so you know you really start to care for them and that can happen quite quickly when you know you've got my mum died from it and i'm seeing people who are in a similar position mm. um and they all seem so nice. I don't know what it is. I've even heard, you know, the consultants say about this disease that the patients just seem so nice. I don't know. But they do seem really nice and so you get attached to them and then you see them, you know, maybe two or three months later and some of them have just gone downhill so fast. Yeah. And it's frightening. Um, so that's a real challenge. They still manage to be maintain an element of positivity even though they're yeah. battling with this disease it's I not mean, really nice no um you know people talk to me about um well end of life issues you know they say things like i might not see you at the next meeting mm. which is hard so that's hard and i think the other thing that's hard is going into a new field um at the bottom when you've been quite senior and, you know, handling that in a way that's good for everybody, that's quite challenging. Yeah, because I suppose, because you have, you did work in the corporate world, but for a long yeah. time you've had your own business, and then yeah. it's going and sort of working for someone else again, and yeah. having to work within their rules, yeah. but know that you have your own voice. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that is exactly it. That, it is that, yeah. And also, um, you know, I'm a bit older than your average student. <laughs> young at heart, and, honey, young Yeah, at I know, exactly. Um, and so perhaps they treat me a little bit as though I'm in my 20s. I don't know, is that fair? I don't know. Maybe there's the expectation that I'm a bit... Di- well, I'm definitely different to yeah. the majority of PhD students and it's, you know, adapting to that for them. <laughs> But you're getting there. <laughs> yeah, I think so, definitely. Yeah, I think we're on the brink of, um, you know, I work part-time and it, so I've only really done first year of PhD. Mm. You know, in my first PhD, I kind of achieved nothing nothing really by that point. Mm. Um, whereas we've got, uh, we're on the brink of publishing probably three, maybe four papers. Um, oh my goodness. I know. And we've done some, you know, we've done some really good things as well. We set up a patient research group, which is really exciting. We've done, it's called Epic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, extra patients in collaboration. So it's got a fantastic name. We're just uh, there's lots of exciting things. What well, from your first PhD versus this one? Do you think the benefit you're you're seeing the benefits that you've learned? Yeah. Sort of how to, to do things Absolutely. better. And obviously you've got yeah. more life experience yeah. Yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Gosh, I'm drawing on so much now that, you know, you don't realise that you have. So when I did my first PhD, I was working um, in a company and I had no peers, really. I was the youngest person by about 10 years. Um, my supervisor, I don't think I'd supervised a PhD before and he was very busy doing other things anyway. So I was very much on my own. Um, and literally for about the first year and a half, I sat in the office and kind of read things and didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. And then after about a year and a half of this, not enjoying it at all, thinking, Ugh, my dad said, well, my mum told me that my dad said, um, your dad doesn't think you're going to get this PhD. And I thought, oh, gosh. He's right. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> and so at that point, I thought, no, right, come on, get stuck into this. You're gonna have to find a way. So, and that was the turning point. Yeah. And um, so I kind of did a PhD in a year and a half, and it thankfully it turned yeah. out really well. It was really successful. Yeah. Um, but I kind of did it on my own, so I learnt masses from that. And yes. I also learnt that you can achieve a lot in a short time when you put your mind to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was really helpful. Um, and then, as you say, life experiences along the way. And I think the life experiences that have been really useful have been about working with people effectively. That's been a massive contributor this time, I think. It's made all the difference. I would struggle without that. Yeah. yeah. So what what is driving you? Is it as simple as the experiences you've had or is it more than that? What's driving me is saving people. That's what's driving me, you know, I want to, I can, I want to help people who are suffering this horrible disease. Um, and also, you know, potentially our family might be affected. So I'm thinking my daughter, my sister, my brother, my sister's four kids. Mm. There's a fair chance that one of them struggles might be affected. But, you know, that was what set me off initially. I thought if I want to help save my family, then mm. I kind of probably need to get stuck into it yeah I haven't got stuck into it it's the patients now it's the focus on the patients yeah yeah it's all for them and so you know my driver is to help save those lives help save those people from that suffering and to get rid of this horrible 
disease which is on the increase in the UK you know there's an escape in it yeah. yeah so it's actually grown from when you first decided to do something yeah. whatever that something yeah. was I kind of wanted to get stuck in to do something but now the more the more we're achieving the more I'm thinking actually it's realistic to think we could mm. we've got some really good results and I say we're about to publish those um I do think there's a route to a cure and it might not be that far off so that would be amazing. <laughs> that really drives me. Yeah. Well, I suppose that's with anything, isn't it? When you know that something's within your reach, it's realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Then I suppose the fire inside yeah. you is stoked, yeah. and you sort of think, "Well, yeah. all right then." So well, this was not just a dream. Yeah. This is like this yeah. could be this real. Could be, it could be reality. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think I've got a bit of a knack for research. I'm quite an intuitive researcher, mm. um, and my hunch is. I don't know, I've, maybe I'm blessed. I, I do feel that serendipity thing. So you know what mm-hmm. like you were asking about, it was whether it was meant to be. The yeah. PhD, when they told me about the PhD, um, it was only two weeks to the closing date. Oh my, not a lot and of time then. kind of, that's unreal. I drove home up the motorway saying, sort of, please let this be it. I kind of feel it should be. It's, yeah. um, it's, it's right there. Yeah. With, and um, it took me about an hour online to find it. So I was thinking, probably not many people are going to have found it. Yeah. <laughs> I might be in with a chance. <laughs> so, yeah. My goodness. <laughs> so, what's the best advice anyone has given you? Whether it's related to doing your PhD now or in life. Yeah. What is the best piece of advice anyone yeah. has given you? That's a really... This is the one that made me... That, uh, thinking about advice, I think that's... So... My mum used to give me quite a lot of advice, which was really nice. And I think from her, she used to, we used to have conversations and I'd say, but I've got no time. And she'd say, you have to make time, which is really sound advice. Yeah. And it obviously plays into coaching. It's about making time. But if you recognise something's important, you just have to make time for it. Mm. There is, you've got to prioritise and put other things to the side and make time for the thing that's really important. Mm. So that was really sound advice. And I kind of always held that. Um, but also I think I've learnt a lot from reading um, and so I think two things perhaps from what I've read one is that your heart can tell you really where you want to go if you listen to it Mm -hmm. so I think your heart's wise um, and it's good to stop and listen and the other thing I think is about kindness so being kind to other people and also kind to yourself it's really mm. important so be kind <laughs> great <laughs> words of wisdom thank you thank you so what advice would you give our listeners who if they're in the position of they want to do something and do something means if they want to make a change or if they want to go and um change the world yeah. or whatever yeah. it is what yeah. advice would you give yeah. them yeah so i think the first thing is to work out what they really want to do and that's a good question what do you really want to do um so maybe maybe talk to people who they know are going to listen to them and let them you know it's really i think you'd say the same from from coaching one of the important things is to be able to voice what you're feeling Mm. get it out there because sometimes you don't know what you feel until you actually voice it Mm -hmm. it helps you to recognize what's in that heart yeah um so I really think that's the first step. Talk th- things through until... And I, I think it's really important to follow your energy. You'll notice the things that you want to do and the things that you feel you should do. And it's about noticing what you want to do. Yeah. So first thing is to recognise 
what you really want to do, acknowledge it, and then make time for it. <laughs> There's no excuse then, is there? Uh, yeah. Very sound advice. Uh, very like simple advice, isn't you know, like hmm. with most things. Yeah. It doesn't have to yeah. be rocket science. No, not at all. So you're a very busy individual. Yeah. How do you get like that work life family balance so that because yeah. you know I've known you for a little time now and you're very calm yeah. and you like yeah. you exude calmness. Oh. How how do you manage it? That's a really interesting question. So I used to be very busy and pretty stressed when I was working. I used to work long hours until I had Evie, our baby, our daughter, and um, and I kind of then put her first. But before that, I used to be so committed, and I and I didn't realize how stressed I was until I left. Mm. Um, and now, although I do a lot, I don't feel busy. Okay. Which is really interesting. Mm, so that's yeah. probably why I seem calm because I am. I don't. I don't feel. You know, I always want to take on more because I don't feel busy. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I think partly working part time makes. Well, I chose to work part time because I wanted to focus on my priorities, which at the time were our, our daughter was a mm, baby, mm. Um, and then. I chose to do this PhD part time because she's obviously at school now, but I want to to carry on doing my art. Yeah, and that's a balance that gives you yeah. balance. Yeah. So the art, you know, that's time out. But actually, the the PhD, I think because I love it, it's not work. It yeah. Like work. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, um, so I don't feel busy. I just feel like I'm doing what I want to do. Maybe that's the key. If you're doing the things yeah. you want to do, I do think it is that. If you find what you want to do, then yeah. it's not work, and you're doing what you want to yeah. do, so it doesn't feel like, oh gosh, I've got to carry on, I've got to do that, I've got this tomorrow, it's Monday, whatever. Yeah. I don't feel that. I'm like, oh great, I can do that tomorrow. <laughs> I feel excited about yeah. what's yeah. happening next. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Again, simple, easy advice. If you're mm. doing what you want to do, mm. then you can achieve that balance. Yeah, it doesn't even feel, I mean... Probably my husband would say I do too much of it because I want that, because I want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you only get one life, so yeah. you might as well yeah. make the most of it. Yeah. Okay, so finally, if people are interested to find out more, how do they, how can, can they contact you? What, what can they do? Uh, You've got a website, haven't you? For your... So uh, maybe we want to look at my website, my Art by Anna yeah. website. Because <laughs> as I said, Anna That's is an, an incredible contact contact me. Yeah. yeah, so they could go on my artbyanna.co.uk website and just contact me that by that route. Sounds good. Um, yeah, I'm also on Twitter. Um, I think it's Anna Art by Anna, but you can find me by Googling. Yeah. <laughs> Google is a fascinating yeah. thing. Yeah. It helps you do everything yeah. you need to. Yeah. Wow. Thank you very much, Anna. You're welcome. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you.